you know, you see a brand like Porsche or you see, you know, hip hop music videos and things like that. You think, oh, that was a huge production and that was a lot of people. We were a pretty small skeleton crew. I think it was like five of us, one yeah. person taking pictures. I was actually running audio. I'm not even an audio guy. I'm trying to direct and run the boom at the same time. Uh, and, and, and two camera people. And I edited it all at my house, right? We don't have a big production studio. We didn't have any type of crazy equipment. We shot it on the Ursa. We own it. We didn't have to rent anything. And because we had that end goal in mind before we started on what we wanted to accomplish, and we were able to film it in a way that it was already in alignment with Porsche brand. Porsche didn't have any revisions for the video, which was insane. What is going on, Rough Cut Club listeners? We are back today with a really special episode. I have a good friend of mine, a long-term client, colleague, friend, filmmaker, in crime partner with us today. His name is Mr. Micah Autry, and he is a production company owner, director, producer, marketer, public speaker, entrepreneur, financial literacy extraordinaire, and I'm sure other editor, and I'm sure I'm missing some of the things, but this guy is... Chat GPT user. Chat user for GPT sure. GPT <laughs> user. AI user all day. So <laughs> welcome to the show, Micah. Appreciate it, man. Thank you guys for having me. I'm looking forward to jumping into it. Absolutely, man. Well, thank you for taking some time just to uh, be with us and the listeners today so we can dive into your story and yeah. journey as a filmmaker Yeah, yeah. Um, and kind of get into a little bit about who you are, man. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. So take me back to the very beginning. Uh, your journey, your intro to filmmaking, like take me back to day one. When was the camera first put in your hands, the interest? Give me all of that. Yeah, so like many people, my first camera experience started around music videos, right? So my brother's a rapper. I'm pretty sure we know a lot of rappers, musicians, <laughs> right? But they are quotes. SoundCloud rapper. SoundCloud rapper. I love my brother, SoundCloud rapper, but he was a rapper. And so I'm a little bro. Um, they're going out there, and this is right around 2011. DSLRs are coming to the game. They're doing video now. You put a prime lens on it. You think, oh, my God, this is amazing quality, right? Like, we're shooting on reds. No, it's a 5100 DSLR. Yep, yep. <laughs> but anyway, <clears throat> so they got a DSLR. I'm little bro. I'm just trying to hang out, and they're like, huh, hold this camera. And so I'm like, okay, cool. I want to, like, move a little bit, do some things. And they quickly realize, like, hey, little brother is better than we are at holding the camera. But then I realized something super cool. So I see my brother posting on Twitter. It's the Twitter days. He's posting on Twitter. It's posting, still the Twitter days, <laughs> it's the, baby. It's the Twitter days. <laughs> He's posting on Twitter. He's posting on YouTube. And people are like, hey, who did your video? Oh, who edited your video? And I'm like, I can monetize this. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't even like, you know, I'm super passionate about film. I'm super passionate about video. My hands are made perfect for the camera. None of that stuff. It was something that was kind of cool, was kind of fun, that I started getting paid for. So I never worked a job in high school. I was doing freelance music videos my entire high school, well, the end of my high school career, 11th and 12th grade, getting paid for it. And because I'm getting paid for it, I got better. I went from Sony Vegas to now I'm in Premiere Pro, opened up After Effects a little bit, got like a Dell XPS laptop. And I'm like, I'm going in on it, right? 30, 40 music videos while I'm in high school. Still. So, so that's such a head start a on the competition. Yeah, it was a man. lot. It was a lot. That's awesome. So that's kind of how I started, just hanging out with Big Bro. Huh? Here's a camera. I was like, I can make some money off this and let's go. 
That's so awesome, man. So fast forward to today. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what your business looks like today, what you're doing as a filmmaker and just, you know, in today's day. Yeah. So I'm a co-founder of All Media with Full Fledged Production Company focused on filmmaking, video, photography, graphic design, et cetera. And so today my role is really producer kind of client acquisition as I get the clients in the door because if you don't have clients, you don't have a business, right? So I have people who are much better than me at editing, much better than me at filmmaking and holding a camera, taking pictures, et cetera, et cetera. But if they don't have work, we don't have clients, we don't have a business. Uh, so I started that business while at UNT still, while in college, and we just kind of took it from there. That's awesome, man. I, I just I just want to jump in because I love it, that it started with entrepreneurship, but it's yeah. a very similar story to me. And it's, it's like, and what you said too, you know, if you don't have clients, you don't have work, you don't no. have a business. And it's so true. Somebody's got to do it, man. And yeah. that's awesome to see that you know, you put in that the work and the sweat with the camera, and then it's like, yeah. oh, now I'm going to grow this bigger. Yeah, so. and, and I think a lot of times, even as entrepreneurs, we try to find the void in the market. Okay, mm. for example, live streaming during the pandemic, during Corona, I quickly was like, okay, we can't go out there and film weddings anymore. We can't go do this. So I went and like bought like live streaming NorthTexas.com and just, hey, we're full-fledged live streaming thing. We had like one uh, transcoder, right? We didn't have anything else, but now we're trying to buy ATM Swisher and stuff. Uh, could we fill that void? Well, I quickly realized in business, you have to fill that void in your own business, mm -hmm. right? No one's there to do the invoicing and the contract at first. No one's mm -hmm. there to do the cold calling mm -hmm. and the emailing. And so you figure out where your business is deficient at. You can't hire at first. You ain't got no money to hire people, right? right? So you have to fill that void. Once you fill that void, you start to build an infrastructure. Then you can hire where you're deficient. But I started to fill the voids in my business like I would for my clients. And that's kind of how I became the producer client acquisitionist. Man, this brings me to something that I have realized in the later half of my career. But as a production company owner, someone who's trying to grow the business, uh, and also just watching Shane as well and his evolution as a business owner. It's interesting because as you run a production company, as you own the business, you, the, the more that you grow and scale, the more it takes you out of the craft that you initially got into the business for. Absolutely. And it's one of those things that, you know, we did a, a an episode talking about like who's, who's right to own a production company because it works – better for some people to be an independent, you know, filmmaker and not run a company because yeah. it actually, though you're in the middle of the business, it kind of pulls you out of the craft yeah. that you fell in love with, you know, from the start. Yeah. So like, how has that process been for you that as you, you know, move more into client acquisition and focusing on growing the business, Yeah. how has, you know, because it, it does, it takes you out of the day-to-day -day shooting and editing, you know, when you're running a company. So how yeah. has that process looked like for you? Yeah, I had a client of mine early on, it's like 2016, 2017, we'd been in business maybe two years, and he was like, do what you do best and outsource the rest. And I'm like, no, I still want to do everything. And how I end up getting to the point of being a producer, being a client acquisitionist was pretty much out of survival, right? Uh, my business partners, they were better at, you know, editing, were better at After Effects, or better at even the finances. I don't do the taxes, right? So Jessica was better at the taxes. But for me, I was like, if we don't have clients coming through the door, we don't eat. And so I really took upon that eat what you kill mentality because that's the only way we were going to be able to survive as a business, right? However, I still tried to hold on to things, <laughs> right? And up until maybe the last year and a half, two years, it just complete burnout, right? Mm -hmm. Now, and I don't know if you all can speak to that, mm -hmm. to where you're, 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 you're evolving into this, 
you know, president, CEO type of your business, but you're still trying to be a shooter, still trying to be an editor, still trying to be a producer, still trying to direct and produce on a single film set, you you can't, right? Or at least I've chose yeah. not to. I don't want to say you can't. I've chose not to because I've learned that I'm not going to be able to get the best possible result for my client, for my team, whatever, if I'm trying to do too much. So um, I would like to say I gave up control and delegated because it was the best thing to do when I had this aha moment. But a lot of it was because my hands were full and I just started dropping stuff. Mm. Right. And then you learn as you go. Bro, that's so good. I feel like from like just the outside, y'all have run a very like similar race in that like just Shane focuses so much on the client acquisition piece. And, you know, just growing the company and everything, like, still is juggling. the same person. Yeah, literally. (laughs) I'm going to just say, this is my favorite episode. Like, (laughs) Micah is singing every song that I love to hear. And I'm just like, dude, yes, yeah. We got to get a beer or something after this beer and just cry together a little bit. (laughs) And then celebrate. Uh, Celebrate, Absolutely, absolutely. I was going to say, misery loves company. And Shane has never felt more at home. (laughs) (laughs) And 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 I think it's just something that, they can't teach you that in school. Mm-hmm. I just went back and did a freelance entrepreneurial workshop at UNT, and I'm there for 90 minutes just trying to give as much of my soul as possible. Mm-hmm. But you can't know until you know. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. had an hour-long conversation with yeah, him. Yeah. I'm like, okay, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so yeah. it's just the, I don't want to say jaded by media production entrepreneurship, but you've been calloused by it, mm-hmm. right? Because you've been through so much stuff, and I think that's kind of where we you know, see eye to eye, if you will. Yeah. I, I got I to... Gotta, throw in a random question here because this is something I feel like it you know as I explore like new business outlets and and avenues uh something that I've realized with talking with my wife and I was like you know what's so hard about media production is that the product that we sell is always custom Hmm. every time it's not a it's not a you know product it's not a it's not a piece of merchandise rinse and repeat like we have systems and processes right that's what makes mine and your Mm -hmm. life easier Mm -hmm. um but every project is custom. Even if it's a music video, it's still going to be customized for the individual, for the you know ROI, for the client. And so you know, with that, like, how do you deal with with the the customization of every single project? Like, what is that like? Um, and maybe there's some systems and processes that yeah. you've like kind of uh, developed that's helped you yeah. uh, get through that. Yeah, I'm still learning. That's going to be yeah, my answer right. to a lot of these things. <laughs> same, same. Um, I would say two things about pre-corona, so maybe 2018 or so, I wasn't thinking that every project is customized. I was actually thinking about going to almost like a franchise model. Mm. I can't think of the wedding photography company. It's something street, and they have all of these uh, contractors that they send out there with a shot list, and they just say, hey, get this, right? And they mm. charge $1,500 a wedding. It's not about making it beautiful. It's about getting it done. And I think that's a scalable solution, and you can actually make quite a bit of money if that's your niche, if that's what you want to do. However, I hired this guy named Robbie, which you all both know, oh, yeah. and he just opened my eyes up to, because like, we, had, we had hit a plateau, not only in the revenue we were bringing in, but in the quality of work. We were okay with the cameras we had. We were okay with the lights. The client's never been like, oh, that's not 6K. I've never heard a client say that. So you can plateau really quick with your quality and then Robbie was like no we need to improve we need to improve and we're constantly improving with that improvement it becomes very custom for everything that you do and for me what we're in the midst of is it's really hard to go horizontal and keep it custom unless you just try to scale to the Richards group and have you know a thousand employees that can Mm. actually customize everything I think you have to go up 
Mm-hmm. Right. You got to be able to get agencies or, or or large companies that can pay you a dollar amount that can sustain you and your company off of one project at a time. So you have to just market up. Right. And what I've learned, and you all know this, too, that those clients are probably better clients, per se, than going out anyway. So that's what we're trying to do is go up in our marketing. But where are they at? If you yeah. know what those clients right, are, right, right, let's right, go right, find them yeah. together, yeah, 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 right? right? You take right. that one, I'll take that one. Yeah. Right? Right, back right. and forth, right? So that's, that's kind of what we're dealing with. Yeah, that's great, man. It's the art versus business structure uh, yeah. s- struggle, you know, and that's, uh, that's a great uh, explanation. It's so true because, you know, like we, we even have product lines that were like, yeah, this is a rinse and repeat, you know, yeah. even – even wedding films, yes, they're all custom customized, but we kind of had, you know, like this is our structure and our process, and and if the client fits into it, that's great. And of course, we'll customize it to you. But yeah. it, it was very easy to like pro- make processes for that entire journey for the client. Yeah. Um, but then you're talking about like the, the difference between a music video to a commercial project, mm-hmm. um, and you're right, like you know, retainers are great, right? You can get, you can, you can develop like kind of this box company and, and, you know, we have kind of a product that does that where we're like, Hey, we can spit out a lot of content for you, Mm -hmm. add a lot of value to your socials, to your direct marketing, to your website platforms. Um, but I'm with you. I'm like, if you love, if you go higher up the chain, you go with the, with the bigger Mm -hmm. companies, uh, they stop asking, they, they stop worrying about budget. Like that word goes out the window and then you can really spend the time, Mm -hmm. your hours, as an artist and a entrepreneur, really building out that custom project. So, gosh. Yeah. So, are you guys still Great doing re, uh, retainers, like retainer clients? So, we we still offer that uh, product mm-hmm. um, where we say a certain amount of content for a certain uh, amount of dollars for, sure. the, for the month, right? Sure. And uh, we ran that model probably uh, pretty well last year. And now, the, I think the climate in the industry has changed, even with what industry we were going after. Sure. And so we're doing more one-off a la carte, and we're kind of trying to corral them back into a retainer. We're like, look, you can save money. We can scale and yeah. provide security for our employees with a little contract in place, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that helps everybody scale, uh, uh, you know, and keeps it consistent for them. Because yeah. then they're like, well, we still want the same turnaround. So we're like, I can't promise you that if you're not a retainer. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, but I don't want to ask too many questions. No, I know yeah, you yeah. want to ask some questions. <laughs> but I ask that because a lot of people will ask me about retainers. Mm. And I shy away from doing retainers mm. because of my mindset. Mm. I'm an entrepreneur. I work with people. I don't work for people. Mm. And I felt that the retainer clients that we haven't that we've gotten in our previous experiences, it really became a you work for me mentality, especially when you've been on retainer for two years. Hey, I'm yep. giving you $6,000 a, a month for two years. They, they think you work for them. And right. I'm like, hey, I still have other clients to fulfill. And one thing that I've learned as an entrepreneur, I can't let one client disrupt the fulfillment of another client. Mm-hmm. right? And I felt like sometimes the retainers were, were getting that way because you get a little more lax on your scheduling. Oh, can you come mm-hmm. out right now? Or, you know, oh, can you make this tweak, make this edit? It felt like, hey, we were in their business instead of being a separate business. So I typically shy away with them. However, you said something very interesting. You were saying you give a certain amount of deliverables for a certain price and you have a contract in place. I think if you have those three elements, the retainer world can be your friend. I just personally just, I like the one-offs a little bit better. I can, 
I have a, a start date and an end date because that end date is really important to me. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. You hit two things on the head, though. Like, it's so true. I think people are looking for an affordable option to bring in a media department into their company without yeah. paying the full salary and mm-hmm. FICA and everything mm-hmm. else that Biz, goes yeah, into benefits it. Benefits and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. they're like, Micah, Shane, you know, you can you can handle our entire de- – and that's part of our sailing p- sales pitch is like, look, you get a whole company hmm. at the cost of one or two, like, super qualified employees. Yeah. And you don't have to deal with FICA and, and onboarding and everything. We handle it all, right? Yeah, yeah. But the only way that we've – kept our sanity with it is by scaling quickly and okay. bringing on more people because yeah you can't let it get it it was getting in the way of other clients mm-hmm. right it's like mm-hmm. oh we've got this huge you know broadcast commercial uh but we also have to pump out these like 30 pieces of social content for this client and like you said last minute request you know yeah. and you want to fulfill because you do feel an extension but yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, man. I, I, yeah, the end date is such a nice thing to go. All right, that's you know. a completion. Yeah, it's done. It, feel, it feels good. You hit something. You hit a sore spot where you talk about, you know, work getting in the way of work. Mm. Like we're working on this Porsche video, but this thirty-second video that we have to do is, is getting in the way of the Porsche right. video. And mm. right. I don't know how to balance that. That's something that we're figuring out. Work getting in the way of work. Mm. Uh, but I think. What we're trying to do again to that that vertical selling going up that way, hey, we can compartmentalize and have these custom projects, and they're not getting in the way of each other. That's what we're trying yeah. to do now. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I gotta I gotta ask this one. So because uh, we did an episode, and we were, you know I talked about starting a, a production company, yeah. and Joey was asking the questions, and I'm like. Don't do it only if you want to <laughs> only if you're married to failure. You're ready to fail a lot before you succeed, right? Yeah. So um on that same note, people that might be thinking about, you know, viewers that are thinking about moving from freelance world to starting their own production company, mm-hmm. what are some of the top pieces of advice you would give them based on your experience of starting a production company? Yeah. So I would say my personality, I'm very much a doer, even with my podcast. I just started doing it and then I figured it out. I read a quote on LinkedIn the other day that was like entrepreneurship. It's like jumping off a cliff and building a plane on your way down. Yep. And so that is very much the the themes of entrepreneurship. So if you're okay with that, you know, discombobulation and that insanity, if you will, then <laughs> entrepreneurship is for you. So that's the first thing, right? It's kind of making sure you got the mindset. Uh, the second thing is making sure you have a game plan and knowing what you want. For me, you know, uh, wealth was a big part of it. And then as you get more and more into media, you start to see, okay, well, wealth maybe not is the biggest part of media entrepreneurship. Maybe you could have done law or real estate or something like that. So understanding why you got into the media entrepreneurship space in general. If you're passionate about your craft, let's do it, right? But if you're saying like, hey, I want, you know, I want wealth or I want this, I want that, you got to make sure that those are lining up before you dump all the way in. And then I would also say, for me personally, it was understanding where I was deficient. And then once I was able to hire and get teammates and get people who are better than me, build that team out mm. because you can't go very far. The quote, I have quotes. I'm a quote guy. I like to read. It was like, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go, go with, with team. someone. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's the, the biggest thing with entrepreneurship. Get the right people on the bus and then you guys can go very far. Beautiful. I know. Said it so well, man. You And, and you touched on something too. Um, that I want to even just go back and visit, which is like going, um, you know, vertically instead of horizontally. There's a quote, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's like you can either go a mile wide and one inch deep or you can go uh, one inch wide and a mile deep Mm -hmm. or something to that effect where it's like it's better 
to whether it's with your clients, with your staff, you know, uh, the projects that you do, like go deeper with what you're doing on just like a production company level, like with your team investing more into a couple of your key people yeah. and just growing them into someone that can really help run the business, shoot, edit, produce, direct, whatever, provides yeah. so much more value than having a thousand people that can just get the job done. And so I definitely fell victim to a thousand people that can just get the job done because when we first started our business, it was necessary to pay rent, right? Mm -hmm. Didn't come from a wealthy background at all. When I started my freelance journey in college, it was out of necessity, mm -hmm. right? My mom had to retire. My grandmother had to retire. Like, I had to pay rent. And so that $12,000 I made that first year of freelancing literally sustained my rent, paid my car, and was able to feed myself at a campus park apartment, right? So if it wasn't for me doing jobs a mile wide, an inch deep. I was filming this ballet recital. I was filming this music video. I was filming this how-to video. If it yep. wasn't for that, I wouldn't have been able to live. However, as you be able to build an infrastructure, you get the systems in place, you build some working capital, you can be more selective with your gigs. And that way you work on the things you want to work on. And it's easier from a mentality perspective to go deeper into that gig. Mm -hmm. Because even if you're getting paid $5,000 for the gig, at least for me, I'm like, if I'm not really interested, if I'm not passionate, if I'm not motivated, it's simply for the money. It's hard to get me in right. the mentality of going a mile deeper right. in the gig. Mm -hmm. right. However, when I'm all into it, it's hard to get me to not go a right. mile deep into the gig. So I, I think for you know entrepreneurs starting out, in the media field, I would say, if at all possible, I would try to detach my living from my craft as soon as possible. Or if you have a nine to five and starting the, the side hustle, again, let your nine to five be your attachment to your living and let the entrepreneurship be able to grow and niche it out and build it the way you want to. Because when they're relying on each other, I couldn't build it the way I wanted to at first. I had to build it the way I had to, if that mm. makes sense. Oh, so, so similar, man. And, <laughs> uh, and I love, uh, I love what you were saying there too, because Joey and I've talked about this on several episodes before. Um, some of my favorite projects, the projects that I don't get paid any money for, Oh, for sure. Or the ones I lose money on. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Because you're passionate about it, right? Yeah, and you're yeah, like, because sure. you are all in on yeah. that project. You're yeah. like, I don't care. It's not about the money. Because it's not about eating. It's like, dude, this is the story or this is the visuals that I want to create. Yeah. I'm super yeah. passionate about it. So, man, I love that idea. Yeah, I wish I could go back and like do it again so I could separate the eat versus the passion, yeah. right? Because yeah. I think you and I both started very similar where it's like, Scraping by, had to had to uh, do whatever it took to eat, and I mean, I I accumulated a ton of debt at the beginning. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. you're buying new gear. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, like you taxes, didn't know how to do taxes properly. There was a lot of issues. Let's not talk about taxes. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, subject. I know we're this is it's April this, right now. It's a hard time. <laughs> April and October. Let's not talk about taxes. Yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome, man. So. Um, Talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, you've grown your company up to this point. Tell me about some of the cool projects that your company has got a chance to do um, over the years and stuff that you're really proud of or, you know, something that your company has tackled yeah. um, that you're, you know, stoked on. Yeah, I think the coolest project that we've done recently was we created this film for three NFL players, uh, Eric mm. Kendricks of the now Los Angeles Chargers, Byron Jones of the Miami Dolphins, and Daniil Hunter of the Minnesota Vikings. And they are all Porsche fanatics. And 
so it was those three guys plus two of their friends. Their friend was like a business attorney and a guy who was like a Grammy Award winning music engineer. That's their friend. So that was cool. But anyway, so it's like five small guys. Flex. Small flex. Five guys, they're $400,000 cars and we're in Malibu. And they had reached out to us to uh, create this video. And the way that we got connected with them, it's a different story, but very cool story nonetheless. But anyway, so we went out to um, to Malibu, California to film this video. And I'm a Porsche fan myself. That's my dream car. And so I had noticed that Porsche does a lot of original content. So I was like, hey, guys, instead of just making this video and posting it on YouTube and social, like, let's get this to Porsche. Mm. So Porsche didn't sanction us. They didn't call us. They didn't do anything. But we went out there, all our own money. Took us like 10 grand to get out there, hotels, rental, camera cars, permits, all that nonsense, right? Like 10 grand of our out of our pockets to put this on. And so we created this six, seven minute piece. And I'm like, my goal is to get it on the Porsche YouTube page and on their social media. So I'm studying, I'm looking at the type of music that they have, the type of commentary. I'm doing all of this stuff to study the Porsche brand, the theme, the ethos without actually talking to anyone in Porsche. Wow. So we create this video, we finish it up, and then I went on a good old LinkedIn because that's where all the business deals are made. Mm. I go on LinkedIn. Mm. And at this point, we have done all the video production stuff. I'm no longer a video production person. I'm an entrepreneur, businessman, media representative at that point. And so I go on LinkedIn. I reach out to different individuals who are creatives who have worked with Porsche. I didn't try to hit up anyone at Porsche. I didn't look at the marketer at Porsche. I'm looking up this contract producer who had produced a film for Porsche, et cetera, et cetera. Found a guy all the way in Austria who had wow. did a video shoot for Porsche in Austin. So I'm like, hey, I just did something for Porsche. I saw you were in Texas a couple of months ago, blah, blah, blah. We talked to him. He's like, okay, I can give you a connect. He gives us a connect. Seven months of meetings for Porsche. So that was in April when we first talked to the guy on LinkedIn. June, we had our first meeting with Porsche. Seven months, three lawyers, copyrights. We're literally representing the three NFL players. Their agents weren't involved at all. It was just me and my business partner. We're meeting with Porsche's like content team. It's like nine people. I don't have nine people in the company. It's like right. nine people at this meeting. I got to go meet lawyers. My, I, my hands are clammy. Um, <laughs> You're making me sweat over but, here just hearing the story. <laughs> but anyway, um, we were set to release it. In September, the beginning of NFL season, we got the first contract. We didn't like it. Had to go through revisions of the contract. It didn't get released to November of mm. last year after going through all these revisions. But anyway, super cool project. It's on Porsche's YouTube page now. We went out on all of their global channels on Thanksgiving. Right, wow. All of the content, all the pictures that we took, all the videos that we edited. Um, and so we got some, hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, we got some more stuff in the pipeline to be able to work with Porsche. But what was really cool about that project was that was the first time for me that I created a piece of content with my team that we went out there and pitched mm. to a brand, pitched to a distribution outlet, and was successful in our pitch. And so I thought that was pretty epic. That's awesome. It sounds almost like a, you know, a feature film or, a, you know, an episode series because you like yeah. you did the research, you did the work, you packaged it, and, you know, you you do the deal. Yeah. And uh, that's awesome, man. Congrats. Thank I, you. Thank yeah, you. I definitely want to check this out. We'll put a link in. Uh, it, it's it's public now, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. We'll put a link in the uh, show notes. Yeah, we'll yeah. put it in uh, uh, YouTube in the uh, show notes as well for, sure. uh, for the audio version so you guys can check out the Porsche video. Yeah. Man, I think that is just so cool and inspiring, even for myself, just to hear, because I, you know, I grew up, 
uh, a big hip hop fan yeah. and 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 come from that world. And I've heard so many stories of like the J. Coles waiting outside in the rain just to get an <laughs> opportunity to talk with Jay-Z. Yeah. Or the big Sean's, you know, like traveling just to get a chance with Kanye. Yeah. And it's like associating that back to filmmaking where it's like you go out, you pitch the product, you make the product, yeah. and you go out with the hope that you get an opportunity to sell it, to put it out and show it and whatnot. Yeah. And it's such a cool thing that I feel like doesn't happen enough in our industry where it's like the the hustle mentality really coming to fruition yeah. to like go out there, make something that you want to make. And like, if they don't let you kick the front door down, you sneak around the back. Like yeah. you figure out a way yeah. to get the project in the hands of the person and just like, make filmmaking goals and dreams happen. I just think that's such a cool testament to y'all as a filmmaker. Yeah, and the only other thing I'll add to that is that, you know, you see a brand like Porsche or you see, you know, hip-hop music videos and things like that, and you think, oh, that was a huge production and that was a lot of people. We were a pretty small skeleton crew. I think it was like five of us, one yeah. person taking pictures. I was actually running audio. I'm not even an audio guy. I'm trying to direct and run the boom at the same time. Uh, and, and, and two camera people. And I edited it all at my house, right? We don't have a big production studio. We didn't have any type of crazy equipment. We shot it on the Ursa. We own it. We didn't have to rent anything. And because we had that end goal in mind before we started on what we wanted to accomplish, and we were able to film it in a way that it was already in alignment with Porsche brand. Porsche didn't have any revisions for the video, that which is was insane. Crazy. That is insane to insane. hear. That's awesome, dude. Right? Yeah. Wow. And so I think that was all because I was like, fanatical about studying their brand and what we're going to do. Uh, and so just the fact for, you know, all the filmmakers listening, like, hey, you could go out there and, and film on your own gear, edit in your own house, and be able to get some distributed in that magnitude, which I thought was pretty cool. And, and I've said it on previous podcasts, but in my opinion, passion is the secret ingredient to creating your best project. And it's the stuff that you don't have you know, a client looking over your shoulder or mm -hmm. giving you notes or steering the ship. It's like when you get to just go and be a creative and create what you want yeah. for who you want, you are going to create some of your best work to date that will not only, you know, be a great moment for you to release a video for Porsche, but yeah. also, you know, for other clients to see that proof of concept and be yeah. like, I want what they have. And yep. then you get to go get more of the thing that you want to do more of, which is a rare thing, but a beautiful thing as a filmmaker. Yeah, and I think the last thing about that passion, like the Porsche, I don't want to call them the client, but the distributor of the sure. content, they they didn't have any revisions. However, when I finished that first cut, I sent it to two or three of my mentors, and they scrutinized it and, yep. and cleaned it up, and we end up doing a pickup shoot. Uh, Byron Jones was formerly at the Dallas Cowboys, so we had a house here, and I texted him and was like, hey, Byron, like, are you going to be in town? He's like, I'll leave tomorrow, but we can film tonight. We literally wow. went to his house over here like in the Highland Park area and filmed some additional stuff to help tell the story. And literally, what we filmed at his house that day is like the first 15 to 20 seconds of the video. That's what captivated Porsche. Mm. And that was feedback from my video teacher in high school and another mentor that I had from college that was like, eh, it's missing something. We went and did it. With a client, you may begrudgingly get out of your house and right. go film that night right. if they ask you to. But when you have that passion behind it and it's something that you're working for for yourself, it's easy to go figure out how can we go in there and film this right quick. Yeah. Yeah.
I remember um, when I was getting started in the industry, actually, it was the the video that connected you and I together at the UNT Film Festival back like six years ago or yeah. whatnot. So I made this music video um, and it's, it's, you know, it's cool for what it was, like a six-year-old video that I was a film student. Yeah. Uh, it won the film festival, which was tight. Nice. But we shot this music video at the fair mm -hmm. um, and it was... I think we went back out to the fair five days in a row to like do guerrilla filmmaking, like no permission, no permit, no nothing. Just yeah. like, like getting started in the industry it was like, we take our camera, we're going to sneak this GoPro onto the roller coaster. We're going to do whatever we got to do yeah. to collect footage and ask for forgiveness instead of permission. Yep. And that was one of the things that actually, um, you know, I did that festival. I met you from it. That video, I think, was one of the main videos that I showed to Shane when I was first uh, getting connected with him. And so literally yeah. both of you guys who were like the <laughs> start of my filmmaking career came from me putting in like extra days and extra time on a passion project. Yep. Um, that I wound up using for a school project, but I was creating it, you know, aside from that, but it's like those projects that you pour the passion into and you go out for the pickup shoot and then another pickup shoot and, yeah. you know, the three days, you know, all that other stuff, like those projects pave the way for you to get your foot in the door in the industry yeah. and climb to the next level for yeah. sure. And I know for me now, and we can have some commonalities here, <laughs> it's hard to balance that passion now mm. when now I have to consider the bottom line. Right. I still got to make payroll. I still got to please clients. Yeah. Like, hey, I know we want to, I always talk about Robbie. Hey, Robbie, I know we want to shoot this passion project, right? Yeah. And and do all of this, but like we still have to finish this client gig too. So that's where, that's what figuratively keeps me up at night is how yeah. do we keep the passion going and how do we manage this work over here by still fulfilling and keeping the lights on over here. And so it's it's interesting that we talked about uh, at the beginning of the podcast, at the beginning of our film journeys, the camera was directly connected to keeping the lights on. Right. And now we've detached it a little bit, but it's like, how do we still balance, right. you know, keeping right. the bottom line where it needs to be while also being able to do those passion projects? That's another conversation you're not going to have over, yes. but it, probably not beer. That's going to be a couple of whiskeys. That <laughs> that's a tough one, man. I, I, feel, I feel like, you know, and you said at the beginning too, burnout, you run into yeah. that. And so my question that I'm going to circle up on here is, you know, in the running the business side of it, you can start to feel burnout. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Yeah. And I, I came to find that out differently. Same. I think yeah. I was like, film, I want to do this. I want to create art. And then I realized I was like, no, I actually love the business side of it and building yeah. structure and systems. And you can hit different levels throughout your career of running a production company where you hit major burnout, right? Yeah, because yeah. you do have to juggle all the things that other people don't want to do yes. in the industry and let the artist do the all the fun stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So here's the question. Um, if you could pick like one thing you could do on the art side, because I know you're an entrepreneur as well, so you yeah. do enjoy the business side. Yeah, of it. for sure. But the art side, like what is your favorite thing if you were like, oh, I, I, we're going to do this project and this is the position that I would want to do on it. Is it directing? Is it producing? Is it camera? Is it, uh, you know, you said audio, you know, is it the thing? So what is that thing that you enjoy the most? So my top two would be producing and editing. Mm. I'm going to pick editing 
because I get to touch it last. Mm. So it's interesting. Like, I didn't touch the camera at all on the Porsche thing. I did a little bit of audio. Uh, didn't really talk to the players too much. We I actually got lost from the convoy. So Robbie was directing via the walkie-talkie because I got lost in the other car. But, like, no one else touched the edit. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's going to be me. I'm going to do the editing, right? And so I would probably say I hang on to editing. Um, that was one of the things to me that made me love film to, mm. uh, to begin with. I'm not sure if you all are familiar with Colin Thiele or Rivington Entertainment. Uh, I'm familiar with both. Okay. I didn't know it was pronounced. I thought it was Colin Tilly. Colin Tilly. I, I'm oh, okay. Texan. I can't talk. <laughs> Colin That's Tilly. that H-Town accent, yeah, yeah, yeah. baby. Colin, Colin, Colin Tilly. He's the music video goat, for goat, sure. Like, before uh, Cole Bennett. Like, it was yep. Colin Tilly, right? Oh, yeah. and, and, and Riverton Entertainment with Andrew Liston. Yep. Shout out to those guys. They're amazing. They laid the foundation for music videos today, 100%. 100%. Like, one of the people on, like, my vision board to meet is Andrew Listerman, the producer mm-hmm. of Riverton mm-hmm. Entertainment, because he's awesome. But anyway, it was the editing of those videos. I remember watching uh, Chris Brown. Look at me now with little yep. and bust around, and I'm like, they got lightning strikes in the background. Yep, yep. And like they're, they're chopping to the beat, and I'm like, I want to do that. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about lighting or ISO or cameras. I was like, I used because obviously when you first start out, your footage is crappy anyway. But I'm like, this edit's gonna be fire, right? It's barely <laughs> right, in focus because right. I don't know how to close my 1.8 prime lens. It's barely in focus, but like it's gonna be chopped to the uh-huh. beat. It's gonna be fire, right? And so I still like that. That hey, I can go and take this footage and and edit. So like we had film gigs today. I didn't go to those film gigs, right? But what did I do when I woke up this morning? I still edit a project a little yeah. bit because that's what keeps me attached to it a little bit. That's, that's sick, awesome. Man. That's all. That's the art side of it too, man. It's that yeah. and the. Uh, so I love editing from the storytelling standpoint, yeah. right? Because yep. you do have that creative control. Yep. You're like, yeah, you shot it this way. We, we know where the direction. And producing something and editing or directing and editing mm-hmm. or at least be involved involved in the process is super important because you are shaping that the end product. Like you are the last person to touch it. Yep. And that's where that creativity of storytelling can really come. And then, of course, visual effects and all the other yeah, fun yeah, stuff. Yeah. You, yeah. Like you said, make it fire, make it really dope and, and pop. Yeah. Um, but man, yeah, I agree. That's 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 awesome. So direct, so editing and producing. Yeah, and in the and, and I guess I like producing maybe from the entrepreneurial side. Like mm-hmm. I don't know how artsy producing is, but uh, we've had some pretty big projects lately, and I give up the the directing responsibilities. Let somebody mm-hmm. else bring the creative side. But um, I guess it's funny. Maybe I'm just control freak. So <laughs> editing, right? You you control the means of operation at the end. Producing, you control the means of operation in the beginning. <sighs> Right, so I produce, I edit everything in the middle. Not that I don't care, but hey, team, go make it awesome. Like I got us all here on time, and and we have craft services and gaff tape, right? <laughs> and at the end, I make sure that the 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 length of the time of the video is perfect, and it gets distributed the, appropriately. I got the front, I got the end, everything else they can have it. And the most important thing there is that if work for own productions and Micah, because he said craft services, and that's super <laughs> important. That's a producer that cares yeah, people and gaff right. tape. Like that's that's important. Necessary. Good producing. Yeah. One and, and it's funny because I, I bring up craft service because like me and Christian and Jessica, the business partners, the owner of the company, we will make it our priority. If we need to go pick up Chick-fil-A, we will. And I like to say I had a presentation two weeks ago and I said, I have a moving production line, right? Mm-hmm. For our film people, we know, hey, people that are above the line, below the line. 
I will move the production line based upon what's needed at the moment. All right. Yeah, I can be producing or directing, but like if we don't have any food, that becomes equally as important as anything else on set. Mm. Right. And so if I need to go put the order in on my phone, I will move that production line and jump underneath it to go order the food or to do whatever we need to. Christian used to cut hair, so he'll hop in and fix somebody's hair if he needs to, right? Nice. Even though he's not so the MUA. But you gotta have that moving production line because whatever is needed in that moment is what's most important, in my opinion. Preach, I believe it. And the uh, the short film that we did in house as a passion project, yeah. you know, I was the executive producer, kind of helped all of it come together, it, even with the vision of doing like four shorts. But on that day, like one, I didn't get to do any like the creative stuff, but yeah. I was craft services man. I was catering, yeah, because you know, nobody yeah. th- nobody was there doing it. And I'm yeah. like, let's let's go, this chef, is, chef this is in the house, it. man. And I had a blast doing it, man. I'm yeah. like, everybody loves crafty and catering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's great. That's awesome, man. Um, <clears throat> going back, uh, uh, one of the conversations real quick. There was something that y'all were talking on that I wanted to add something to, um, and it's just talking about doing the gigs that you want to do with passion, right? There, um, there's a phrase called art for art's sake. And that's something mm-hmm. that lately has really challenged me because the thing that got us into this whole industry is the love of the art, right? And But as you grow a production company, as you grow in your craft and the bottom line becomes the most important thing, how do you right now um, make art for art's sake a priority or do you, you know, at all? Yeah, I wouldn't say I make art for art's sake a priority. I tailor the art to fit the business and I tailor the business to fit the art. I give you a really good example. Last week we did a 30-second TV ad. They're going to put on Hulu, Comcast, all that stuff for audiology company, basically a doctor's office. Nothing very fancy about that. But if we, well, not if, I was able to get more resources and more budget from the client. So instead of just having three of us go out there, do a talking head video, something super simple, we can put together a nice script, a nice commercial, right? We can have six or seven people. We can have a gaffer out there. We can have an audio guy. We can make that 30-second TV commercial feel like a little short film. And, you know, I'm at, hey, Robbie, Christian, how did the gig go? Oh, I love it. That was fun. And they just said that about an audiology commercial, mm. right? Mm. And so I'm just going to, as much as I can, I will tailor the art to fit the business and vice versa. So that's been my biggest thing is when we get the most mundane projects, I'm like, how can we make this cool? I'll give you one more example. We just we just did the conference in Atlanta, the Black Sports Business Symposium. And so we have camera guys at five or six different stages. We're going around just getting B-roll and, you know, conference stuff, right? However, I pitched to the client, can we do two documentaries over attendees? Right, so we went there a couple of days earlier. We saw them coming from the airport. We actually went to the college of one of the attendees that was an hour and a half away and got to film him in class. And he comes to the the conference, and we're still selling and promoting the conference and the brand. But now we're telling the story. We're doing a documentary over this. So not only is the client happy because they have some longer form content that they can post and chop up, my team is happy because we didn't do a conference video. We did a mini documentary at the conference, right? And so that's how I'm coming kind of how I'm playing it right now. Yes, I love that, man. Yeah, I love that yeah. too, man. Make content dope again. I love it. It's so <laughs> there's the hat right make there. Content dope hey, there's again. the there's the rough cut club merch uh, yeah, right there. Let's yeah, yeah, yeah. get it on a hat. Yeah. Yes. That's fire. So, talk to me a little bit about um I know you've directed a lot in the past yeah. and and like even now like with the Porsche video and some of the projects, you're still directing um what is I guess I guess the question is like, how much are you directing now? How much are you pursuing directing? Like, is it on an as needed basis? 
you know, what does you as a director look like? Yeah, so me, is, it's funny because, like, I think my social media is still, like, director Michael Archer, even though I don't really direct anything anymore, right? right? I'm more producer Michael Archer, and I changed it on my LinkedIn to producer. Um, I still love the art. I still love the creative side. I've just seen that I can find really awesome directors. The Texas Women's Foundation, right? We just did a project for uh, a, a documentary short where we had reenactments. I was able to find an awesome director for those, right? But I kept the producing hat. So right now I'm producer Michael Archery as opposed to directing. I do want to get back into directing a little bit. I have a couple... Um, you know, short film passion project ideas that I want to work on, but we're grooming some uh, some producers, right? So on the the Texas Women Foundation video that we just did, I had this intern line producer, right? And so she's on a uh, peer space looking at locations and trying to find actors on backstage and stuff like that, just kind of grooming her a little bit. That way, when it is a passion project that I want to jump back into the director's seat, I can and I have someone that I can trust that can be me when it comes to producing. Mm. That's awesome, yep. man. Super good, man. Um, one other question that I had for you, and I know Shane's going to love this one, but <laughs> especially with you focusing on the client acquisitions piece of the video business, yep. talk to me about some of the stuff y'all are doing to market uh, right now and just, you know, what are y'all doing to get more of those clients? Because yeah. that's that's a lot of the filmmakers' biggest question is how do I get more clients? Yeah. Um, and yep. if you can figure out that, you can stay, you know, you can eat good. Yeah. But if you can't figure out that piece, it doesn't matter how good you are as an operator, you got to have – Sure. You got to have clients. Well, I'll say this. I think being a good operator says a lot about the clients that you can keep, retain, and repeat. Right, because if you get a lot of good clients and they're not coming back, then you have to look at the operations part of it. Mm. So I think operations is a big part about client acquisition, and so with me um, having uh, getting the client acquisition, a couple of things that I like to do is warm lead websites. So uh, thumbtack.com has been huge for us. I think if you Google thumbtack.com videographer, we should pop up in like the top two or three. Uh, bark.com is another one that we like to use to get those warm leads. But one of the things that I've been focusing on, because uh, we've done Facebook ads, Instagram ads, Google ads, we've done all that stuff, and we've hired agencies that run it for us and all that good stuff, pay-per-click, all that. Uh, one of the things that I've been focusing on more recently is – Getting like doubling down on the clients that we already have, mm. right? How can we upsell them? How can we do more projects for them? Um, that's what I've been really focusing on. Email marketing, right? Because email marketing wasn't a big thing of ours because we're always trying to get new clients. But sending out those email newsletters, you stay top of mind on your current clients. And oh, I haven't talked to Mike in a while. Let's hit them up and do something, right? Mm. And so that's been our focus for like the last year, year and a half is really doubling down on our current clients uh, because we have some awesome ones, right? So why not do more work for people that you already have rapport with as opposed to always fishing for new ones, even though fishing for new ones is important, obviously. Right. But I've really been doubling down. That's the season and I'm in is doubling down on, on the clients that we currently have. I love that. Yeah, it goes back to that custom client. If it's a new client, it's like I gotta, I gotta teach you the processes and systems to, for us that. to work mm -hmm. together. Yep. You know, so yep. if you if you've done projects with them, it's a it's a somewhat of a rinse and repeat. They, yeah. that you have a working relationship. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I have point. all your branding standards in the Dropbox already. It's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's right. Less <laughs> yeah. logistics. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so future casting a little bit. What's what's on the horizon for you coming up this next year? What are some of your goals? Some of the things that you're working towards right now? Yeah, one of the big goals from a company standpoint is we want to get distribution on a major outlet. So Netflix, Hulu, that type of thing. So we. We have a, a couple uh, docu-series and documentary projects that we're working on to uh, 
take those swings. You know, you're going to go one for a thousand on those things. That's just the batting average of our industry. So we're just swinging as much as we can, right? <laughs> yeah. And seeing where we can hit one. So that's what we want to do as a company. I've looked at it. Netflix may only give you fifty, sixty thousand dollars for the documentary. It's really not about making money, right? It's about establishing your presence within the industry to say, hey, we have a piece of content on Netflix. So that's where we're headed to from a company standpoint. From a personal standpoint, it's about building content for myself finally, as you all are doing as well, because you've been so focused on uh, making content for businesses mm-hmm. that you forget to make content in your business. And mm-hmm. so for me, I, you know, starting the podcast and doing a public speaking and doing the talking head videos. I'm like, hey, I've been doing and consulting and helping people for years. It's time for me to, you know, be a little selfish and focus on some content for myself. And so that's my goal and, and what's upcoming for me. It's so hard to practice what we preach, right? When Man, you're, when it you're, is. When you're telling the clients, you know, oh, you got to you got to be, you got to have the email campaigns. You got to be active on social, the evergreen content. You got to run some direct ads. You got to do, and then it's like, oh yeah, we're a media and <laughs> consulting marketing company, and we need to do those. We things. need to do those things too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel. I feel like it's only been the past couple of years that we're actually taking the time to do it yeah. ourselves. So that's awesome, man. And tell tell us about the podcast that you started. Yeah. Where can we Where can we go uh, listen or watch that? Yeah, yeah. So the name of the podcast is the Secrets of Silent Success Podcast, and I focus on interviewing uh, minority entrepreneurs in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. But we have been to Cali and Baltimore interviewing people too that have reached out to us, and um, yeah, it's all about everything. Thing in regards to business, the finance, the marketing, a lot of the mindset and just people's story of how they got to where they are. I think that's really cool. I started off just interviewing my clients because I was really intrigued by how they got to where they got to. And it branched out from there. Um, you talked about working on our own business. One little small anecdote. I wake up between 4.30 and 5 every morning. And the first thing I do after checking bank accounts is work on my personal content. It used to be get up, put out fires, and work on other people's content. Right now, I'm not touching any my clients' content to about eight o'clock. I'm working on my content first, whether that's scripts, whether that's editing, whether that's you know social, whatever. Right, everything for my content first. Because if you don't do your content first. It's just not going to get done, at least for me. Like, it just doesn't get done. It's the first thing to get bumped, right? It it's is. The first, if you put it off till later, it's, you're, it, oh, it's always going to be the next day or the next day or mm-hmm. next week yeah. or next month. Yep. Yeah. It's the same thing with working out, too. Like, if I don't work out first thing in the morning, I, it just, oh, I'll do it in the afternoon. Oh, it, it just doesn't happen. And so, doesn't like, happen. I have to tackle those big things for me. Yep first in the day or work will just consume me and they'll get pushed to the back burner and then like you know health your own personal content all of that stuff like at the end of the day clients yes have to come first in a sense but you have to be working on you to be sustained to work for them as well and there's also a fulfillment aspect right like when you get to feel fulfilled in what you're doing whether it's on the creative on the health on you know your life stuff whatever it is you're going to be a more efficient person when you go and serve your clients as well 100 percent, absolutely and I got to circle back around to the podcast. So can we find that on YouTube? On because I'm going to eat this stuff up. I, I listen to entrepreneurship and business yeah. uh, podcast. I that is my jam. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Slap it on some bread. I'm going to eat it up. So yeah, uh, where can we find it? Yeah, so on Instagram and YouTube at Secrets of Silent Success. The only thing that's a little different is TikTok is uh, Sauce S O S S podcast. Nice, awesome, awesome. We're going to go check that out. We'll put a link in the uh, YouTube version directly to it as well as in the show notes for the audio version. 
Man, so there's five questions that we like to ask all of our guests each okay. time. We got five questions. We Let's can make them kind of quick, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Yeah, yeah. So what is one thing that you would do differently if you could go back and do it all again? Wow, that's that's a tough one to start <laughs> off with, man. I'm like, we're going to do this real quick. And yeah, then, rapid e- fire round, e- and here's the yeah, toughest one. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, I think I would focus on doing the things I like to do. Again, I talked about it earlier, just separating my, my livelihood from my passion, if I could. Mm. Mm. So good. So what excites you the most about the current film industry or market right now? That we can compete with the guys in Hollywood right here in Dallas, right? Like, we can rent and do everything that we need to do. Like I said, we got on the Porsche page shooting on the A1. We'll be all right. So I like that. Oh, yeah. That's great. What is one piece of advice that you can give to filmmakers trying to grow in their craft or their business? I know you kind of touched on this, but give me one more new quick nugget of information. Advice for people trying to grow in their craft. Uh, make better, better. One of my favorite principles is the principle of Kaizen, K-A-I-Z-E-N. Make better, better. I'm a sports guy. Like Steph Curry will still go and shoot every day, even though he's the best shooter. Pun intended. I don't care if you're the best shooter. Keep getting better, right? So it's all about making better, better. And this is the for the entrepreneur. Like, I don't shoot anymore. I, I find people who do shoot, and they make better, better, right? So mm. part two mm. of it. So good. So where do you think that we as an industry are headed in filmmaking right now? where we should all be focusing our attention. AI. AI, AI. baby. Here it is. Here it is. Talk to me about AI for a second. Yeah, so, man, I use AI on the daily now, right? From ChatGPT, I've written and tweaked scripts from ChatGPT and got it approved by clients. My personal podcast, I cut it with Autopod, and then I put it inside of Munch. It captions and finds it, and I just post it because what I've learned about, or what I'm learning about content, consistency is probably your best metric, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you can try, or not try, we can use our brains and our analytics to say, okay, this will work better than the others, but the internet is the true decider and discerner of all, so hey, just put as much stuff out there, and AI will allow you to do that. So AI is coming and it's coming quick and I don't want to get left behind. Man, that's so good because I've heard, I've talked with many filmmakers right now that are like terrified of AI and like all the auto generated stuff. And I'm like, dude, these are in, these are tools, tools, like, like I, as a filmmaker am not afraid of my job being in jeopardy because of AI coming out. These are exciting new you know, resources for me to be able to create quicker, more efficiently, just better in general. And I think that it's just an exciting thing more than a scary thing. There's granted, there are scary components to it, but I am excited to be able to adapt with the current wave of AI coming at us. And the last thing I'll say on that, it's not only adapt, but learn to leverage it, mm-hmm. right? You say use it as a tool. I had an older filmmaker was like, people didn't want to go digital. Everybody was like, I still yep. got film, DV tape. You shooting on DV tape still? Right, 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 <laughs> right. No, you got you got you got SSDs and memory cards, right? So yeah, learn to leverage it or get left behind. <sighs> so good. Who is one filmmaker that you admire and why? 
Yeah, I'm going to say Andrew Listerman. Uh, he's more of a producer, but we talked about him earlier. Just to know that he started his, I think it was 2011, he started his company with his wife and grew Rivington Entertainment to like literally, in my opinion, the pinnacle of music videos in the industry. They work with Bieber, Chris Brown, like anybody you can think of. And they have made amazing pieces. They've done films and things now. So Andrew Listerman, for sure, I want to meet that guy. So if you see this Andrew Listerman, I still want to meet you, man. One of our... One of our followers has to get him connected. Someone, yeah. yeah. There's only what six degrees of separation. Six, yeah, man. And I, I bet it's less than that. Yeah. So I want to ask you one just final question, man. There's a lot of people listening that you know are not where you are currently at right now, but they aspire to um, do the type of projects that you're doing, grow a production company. What are some tangible things? That if you could leave, you know, a, a quick word of advice to up and coming filmmakers on their journey right now that really made an impact in your career um, on the come up. And I know we're still all on the come up, but yeah. what are some things that really made an impact on you growing as a filmmaker that you can leave our audience? Yeah, so I'm going to be the guy who's going to give you two things that have nothing to do with filmmaking. Love right? it. Because I, I say this all the time, the... My clients, you go look at the reviews. We got reviews on Google, on Thumbtack. Maybe 10% talk about the quality of the video, mm. right? Unfortunately or fortunately, we're a dime a dozen. There's people that can make videos better than us, and mm. there's people that can make videos cheaper than us. Mm. So it's something else that got to make you stand out, mm. right? So from a personal standpoint, I think the financial literacy is important. You know this. One month, you'll make 2000 The next month, you'll make 20000 If you live your life like you're going to make 20000 you will sink fast, Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that financial literacy part is, 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 is really important. So for me personally, we first started our business, 25 cents of every dollar that we made went right back into the business mm -hmm. to, to buy equipment, to pay people, to pay for story blocks or audio jungle or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Then another 10 percent went to marketing those Google ads, this, that. Third. And then once I did take my money out, we talked about taxes a couple of times. <laughs> once I did take my money out, right, now I put 10, 20, 30% to taxes, right? Because if you are focusing on keeping the lights on, you're focusing on that money aspect, it's hard to focus on anything else, right? You can't focus on thriving if you're only surviving, mm. right? So you have to get that money situation first. The second thing is what I call soft skills. As I said, we're a dime a dozen. A lot of people, the barrier to entry into our industry is really low now. And cameras, yeah. the A7S three is beautiful. We shot on the Ari uh, Mini Alexa. The A7S three is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? I got two FX threes, which are the same camera, yeah, the, and it's the FX six is my favorite camera. Man, we put some cook lenses on those things, and it was great. But anyway, mm. uh, the outside of of the barrier to entry is is uh, so small. People are really dope, which is awesome, right? And I try to hire or work with a lot of those dope people, collab with those dope people. So what makes you stand out? It's those soft skills. My favorite quote ever is, being an adult is parenting yourself and making you do the things that you don't want to do. Mm. You would quickly realize as an entrepreneur, most of the things on your schedule today are things you don't want to do. Mm. And you have to be able to make yourself do those things you don't want to do. You have to be able to show up on time, turn in things on time every time. Without that, it doesn't matter. Right? My client doesn't care how cool the drone shot is if they don't get the video on time. Mm. And so um, when it comes to, hey, how to be a successful entrepreneur filmmaker, the money and the soft skills, I think, are the two things that got me to where I am. Um, 
maybe my video work is subpar. I don't know. <laughs> but if it is, I think if you deliver it in a nice package and you can, you know, balance yourself over here, you can still go very far. That's great, man. I I have always, I don't want to say always, I have realized in the last several years that being successful in this industry is about more than just how good I am as a filmmaker. And oftentimes the experience that the client has far surpasses, you know, the project that they actually got. And, you know, there's a quote too tied to, um, you know, just remembering loved ones where it's like, you may not remember everything that they said, but you will remember how they made you feel. 100%. And that I think speaks the same way to a client where it's like, I may not remember, you know, that drone shot or the lighting or whatever, but I'm going to remember that working with Micah was an amazing experience. Yep. And so I think if you can embrace that and embody that and put it into practice where you are providing a great experience on the forefront, even prior, you know, uh, as more of a priority than even making a great video, the experience is something that they're going to remember and hang on to. Yeah. Yeah. And the last thing before we wrap, the last thing I'll add to that is, it's really hard to make yourself do those things you don't want to do. It's, it's really hard to continually give your client a great customer service experience, even when you're pouring from an empty cup when you're burnt out. Right. So I think how I continue to do it even when it's tough and even when I fail to consistently get back up because we're going to fail, you're going to fail, right? It's to connect it to a why. It's so cliche. Mm. You know, the whole Simon Sinek Start, start with why. why. Like, mm. It's so cliche. But you got to remember why you're doing it because, man, I don't want to work. I wake up at 4.35 every morning. I never want to wake up. Like, no one no one wants to get out of bed at 4.30 and start editing videos. So you got to remember why you're doing it. You got to connect it to something bigger because if it's just dollars and cents, is it just to make this cool, the project look cool? Like, it, it, you're going to go back and hit snooze and turn over, right? You got to connect it to something bigger, right? And and for me, you know, I can go into my my litany of things of why it's bigger, but I write my goals down every day. It's in this book right here. I write my goals down and it keeps me grounded on why I get up and why I do all this. So I think it's that why is really important for sure. So good, man. Solid advice, man. Love it. Lots of wisdom there. Yeah, so good, man. Um, anything else that you want to leave our listeners before we sign out of here, man? Subscribe to the channel. What am I looking at? <laughs> yeah. yeah, subscribe to Smash the Smash that cup. like button. Smash the like button. <laughs> Follow these guys talking about some dope and awesome film content, man. Because we got to support each other. We like, got yeah. to, man. I was looking yeah. at the page. I'm like, subscribe, like, follow, comment. Yep. Like, we, we want others to give it to us, but you got to pour it back out, right? I believe in kind of that whole, like, the energy you give is the energy you reciprocate. We got to give it out. So everybody, go follow these guys. Go go look them up. Hey, let's all collaborate. Let's make Love dope it, man. stuff. Man. Love That's it. That's what Absolutely. I want to do. Same vein, where can people get connected with you? Where can they smash that like button and follow you and stay connected, man? Yeah, so I kind of just use the podcast now as my personal channel. So Secrets of Silent Success, you can just go find that and hit the subscribe, like, all that good stuff. That's awesome, man. Well, bro, this has been such a good episode. Thank you so much yeah. for your time, yeah. your wisdom pouring into the filmmaking community. Um, and I know you are, you know, you are a critical piece of the Dallas filmmaking community. And sure. it is so great to have production companies come together, yeah, just yeah. talk the art, talk the business, and talk the game. And uh, so, thank you so much for your time, man. For sure. For sure. And what for having me? And I'm gonna buy you a couple of whiskeys here coming up. We just gotta set the date. <laughs> <laughs> Go cry into our glasses. Yeah. I'll say so. Fun fact: I don't drink, but I'll take. Food though. There oh, you hey, go. All the food. That virgin whiskey. All yeah. The, all the food, man. <laughs> Two all virgin whiskeys. Yeah. Right. yeah. There you go, Appreciate man. Well, it, man. Hey, this has been Cheers. a great Absolutely, episode, man. man. 
Sounds Appreciate good. your time. Appreciate you.